Well, we have your Bibles. <laughs> We're going to read the verse we read the last three weeks. Romans 1 and 16. This is the last part of our mini series on the gospel. So Romans 1 and 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And let's pray one more time together. Jesus, hallelujah, thank you for your, for your word this morning, God. I pray that you would speak to us through your word in Jesus' name, God. I pray if there's any questions that you would you would clear them up. I pray, God, Jesus, and God, speak to our hearts today. I pray that your will be done in the name of Jesus. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. You are worthy of it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you'd like, apologize. I keep up my nose. It's really itchy today. Please try to ignore that, even though I just drew attention to it. So now you won't. But, oh, my word. Anyways. Um. I, that's it. That's all the funny jokes we got this morning. <laughs> um, I don't want to say apologize, but um, this is going to be a whole lot of Bible. A lot of word this morning, but, the, but God said that his word wouldn't return void, so I'm okay with that. Um, leaning on his, his word today. So we're going to continue on um, this lesson on the gospel, part three. And the, the gospel message is how our lives are changed by the power of God. I was just going to recap what we talked about the last couple of weeks, but the gospel is the, the declaration of the story of Jesus as uh, the saving good news of God with a focus on his death, burial, and resurrection. So Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2, and it cut to the heart of the crowd, and it prompted them to ask the question, what must we do, Right? And, you know, sometimes as we read that, we kind of wonder why they said that. You know, when I preach, I don't have a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, what do we do now? And that would be cool if they did, but it doesn't happen. That's not how our, our society works so much. You know, we hear news, it's just news. Well, that was nice information. Thank you for that. And then we continue on our day. But um, the word gospel means good news. As we know, it comes from the Greek word euangelion. I'm so impressed with myself for remembering how to say it. But the gospel, when it was preached for the first time, um, the question that people had when they heard it was, what do we do? And it's because the word euangelion or, or gospel, it's a circular word. It's something that needs to come back. You know, it's a word that means there needs to be a response to it. It comes from... Uh, it means the, the sacrifice given and thanks for good tidings. So it was, a, it was an army word. So whenever um, you know, the army went out to battle and they came back, they would come back with euangelion. They'd come back with good news and they would say, hey, we won a victory. And people would be like, oh, yes. And they would respond. There was something that came, a response that came from this, this good news. It was linked with the, the thought of victory in battle. So there was a response. It's not like how we see news news now, you know, you go on Facebook and you just scroll through and scroll through and that's it. And wow, this person's having a baby, this person's fighting with their husband, this person's doing that, and this person's doing that, they got a new job, they whatever, the kids did this, whatever, and it's just news and it just doesn't really affect us, we just, whatever, there's no response. 
But with the gospel, there needs to be a response. That's the word gospel it means. There's a response that comes from it. So to see how they reacted to this good news the first time we go to the first place, it was preached in Acts chapter 2. And we see what they were told to do when they asked, well, what do we need to do? So Acts chapter 2, verse 36, we'll start there. And it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And that's how Peter ends his message. And then verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And said, what do we got to do with this gospel, this message that you just preached to us? What do we do with it? In verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so Peter, right away, he says, This is what we got to do. This is our response to the good news that I've just told you about. And Paul the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, that the gospel has three parts, the death, burial, and resurrection. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So this is the gospel. So Paul said there's three things that happened. And I preached it, you received it, we responded to it, but there's, this is what it is. That God, that Jesus you know, died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. So that's the gospel. And Peter said, how do you apply the ticket darker in here? I didn't know we had dimmers. And then, maybe a cloud. <laughs> That was weird. <laughs> well, Peter said, this is how you apply this. The, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Saying you need to repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. All right. So that is our response to the good news. So we obey the gospel by these three steps. We repent, baptize in Jesus' name, receive the gift of the Spirit. So this is how we, we identify with this, this gospel, this good news, this um, work, redemptive work that Jesus did. So he was, he died, he buried, rose again, repent, baptized, receive his spirit. Alright, so Romans 1, 16, we read, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, as the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So the gospel will not work if you take away from it or you add to it. Galatians 1 and 8, Paul said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, and that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. He said, if we preach anything that, that's different than what we've been preaching, let us be accursed. If an angel comes, they're wrong. This is the gospel. We can't change it now. We, there's no changing. Nobody's allowed to change it. You curse those people that try to do that. So that's pretty serious. So there's only one salvation message, regardless of what anybody else says it's not that I'm right, you're wrong, or we're right, they're wrong. It's not it's not that if the Bible is right and everyone else that's against it is wrong. You know, we gotta look to the word of God and that's the only way. So there's only one message uh, of salvation. Repentance is the first step that we talked about in obedience to the gospel. Repentance does not earn salvation, but it qualifies one for salvation. It's the beginning of, of it. Repentance is a turn from sin to to living for God, it's an entire change of mind resulting in a total change 
of life and repentance, we apply Jesus' death to our lives. We die to our old ways and we decide we're going to live in a new way. All right, we're all together on this. Uh, some people will stop at repentance and go no further, but I'd be like, okay, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus. He died. See you later. And that's it. I mean, that's the same thing. You just stop at the death. And as we know, the story goes, goes further than that. So repentance, we apply Jesus' death to our lives. And some people today think they're saved just by accepting Jesus or asking him into our heart, into our heart or believing on the Lord or whatever, but it's not what the Bible teaches. There's more to it. Um, and a lot of times when we do that, it, we're not even really repenting because there's no outward change. There needs to be a change if we repent. Right, we've gone over this, but just recap in case you forgot. You can't repent without a change. You know? It's not enough just to feel bad and cry a little bit. There needs to be some change. You know, I told a story about our kids. You know, they're playing. It doesn't take long. Someone's crying and someone else is saying, I'm sorry because somebody is crying. But they're not really sorry because five minutes later, if that person didn't tell them, they're doing it again. Right? Told you the story about me throwing snowballs at my cousin. As we're having a snowball fight, my dad came in and yelled at us. Sorry. Yeah, right. As soon as he went back inside, guess who got a snowball on the head? My cousin. <laughs> That's not repentance. You know, I was saying, I'm sorry, it's not repentance. There's, there needs to be a change. There needs to be an outward change that comes with it. Um, so the gospel is not only about Jesus' death, but it's also about his, his burial. So if you're going to die... You need to be buried, right? You don't just leave. Anyways, I'm not going to do that. It's pretty gross. But people need to be buried if they're dead. And even as burial follows death, so water baptism follows repentance. So we die to our, our old ways. You know, we want to live a new life, so you got to be buried. And every person who believed on the gospel of Jesus, repented of their sins, should be baptized. Water baptism is a, the second step that God asks of us in obedience to his plan of salvation. When a person receives, uh, when a person is baptized in the name of Jesus, it, it signifies that he or she has died to sin and is bearing that sin. When they emerge from the waters, the old lifestyle and sins are forever buried and forgotten. So we, we are baptized, we are baptized, um, buried with Christ when we are baptized. So water baptism in Jesus' name is also essential. That was last week. Everybody's still awake. Alright, we're good. The Bible gives specific instructions on how to be baptized. The mode, what is done, is being immersed in water. Every baptism in the Bible was immersed. It says they came up out of the water. In order to come up, you got to go down. Right? right? What goes up must come down. Bill Nye the Science Guy. To immerse or to submerge in water is what the word baptism means. It also best portrays burial and resurrection. If you're going to bury someone, you don't just throw a little dirt on their face and say, Okay, we're done. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, driving my great deal, that'd be really awkward. You know, that's not how it works. They need to be fully covered. So the formula of what is said is into the name of Jesus. Always and exclusively baptism was in the name of Jesus all through the book of Acts, through the, through the New Testament. Jesus is the only name that has power to save us. Some people think that baptism is just a, a ritual that makes you part of a church or a congregation. Others think that since it's just a ritual, it doesn't matter how you do it, but it is important that you do it the right way. If you're not doing it the right way, you're just going down a wet center, coming up a wet center. Right. <laughs> Sorry, going down a dry one, coming up a wet one. <laughs> um, 
When we are baptized in Jesus' name, there's a shift in our relationship with God. You know, we enter into a covenant with Him that is, you know, changes our lives forever. Um, and if you've been baptized biblically, you can't stop there and go no further. That's the same as, okay, I'm going to tell you the story about Jesus. Good news, Jesus died, and then we put Him in a tomb, and that was it. And that's not the whole thing. That's not the whole good news. The whole good news is that he, he died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. Yes. So it's not enough just for us to die and to be buried. We need to be resurrected and brought back to life. That we're, if, sorry, tongue died, if we're going to live as a new creature, Amen. as the Bible says. Yes. So Paul told us that the next part of the gospel was Jesus' resurrection, and Peter told us that our next step was receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Bible or the gospel message does not stop at the death and burial and neither should we. There is a resurrection. Yes. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the third step of obedience in the gospel. Yes. Um, and this Holy Ghost is essential to salvation and it's promised to everyone that believes. The Holy Ghost is the indwelling Spirit of God. So it's God coming to live inside of us, Christ in you, which gives us the power to live a Christian life. The Spirit brings a new birth and will give us new life. All right? So the resurrection of Jesus becomes effective when we receive His Spirit and we get up of the deadness of our old life. So how important is the resurrection of Jesus to what we believe? No. A few years ago, they made that Passion of the Christ movie. The whole, whole thing. There's nothing better than resurrection. I think there's a bright light at the end. I think that ends. You know, and some people just want to leave him there, leave him on the cross, leave him in the tomb. But the fact is that he rose, and that's what the good, the good news. Everything depends on this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 13 to 20, he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. So if he wasn't resurrected, everything we're doing has no purpose. And yet, and we are found false witness of God, because we have testified that God hath raised up Christ, and we have not raised up. If so be that the dead rise not. And if the dead rise not, then Christ was not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and yet we, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and becoming the first fruits of them that slept. So Paul says this is so important. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything we're doing is pointless. Amen. Everything we're doing is in vain. We're just wasting our time. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope. In him, if he didn't rise, everything that we believe depends on Jesus rising from the dead. Amen. It's important. It proves that Jesus was who he claimed to be, that he was God in the flesh. Of all the claims that Jesus made, the claim that he would rise from the dead was the most outrageous to everyone. You, know, you, you can say a lot of things, but you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back. People are like, You're are crazy. There's no way that's gonna happen. It was the most outrageous kind of claim that he he made, and he said it, sometimes he would say it subtly, sometimes he would say it, you know, outright in John 2 and 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy the temple, talking about himself, in three days I will raise it up. You can kill me, and in three days I'm going to raise up. That's the very beginning. He said it, the whole, his whole ministry, it's the whole thing. 
And Jesus allowed himself to be put on trial and crucified just so there would be no doubt about who he was. When he was hanging on the cross, the, the skeptics and the critics mocked him and they said, if you're the son of God, you come down and save yourself. If you're who you say you are, save yourself. If you're really God, show us that you're really God and save yourself. But Jesus had something bigger than that planned. He said, I'm going to let you bury me and in three days I'm going to come back and I'm going to be exactly who I said I am. And every year we celebrate this at Easter. And Easter is the good news about Jesus Christ, our Lord who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And for historical records, the Gospels say that he showed himself to 500 people. Can you imagine you know, going to this crucifixion? There wasn't a lot of entertainment in those days, so these are the things people want to see. And have their movies. They had crucifixions. They had lions eating people. That's what they did. They're crazy. But that's what they did. They didn't have plays or anything. Oh, let's go see who's dying today. Great. And people went and people saw. And you imagine seeing this happen. You know this guy is dead. He's up there. You know, everyone can see. And three days later, you hear stories of him walking around again. You know, I talked about this before. Like Lazarus. Like your neighbor died and then he's out mowing his lawn next week. That'd be crazy. It just blew people's minds. 500 people saw him. It's amazing that this happened. And that just sealed the deal. You know, he said, I'm God. I'm God. I'm the son of God. And then this happens. Just, you can't argue with that. Right? The city of Jerusalem was the last place on earth Christianity could have started. And Jesus' tomb wasn't empty. That's where he was put to death. That's where it all ended. But that's where the Holy Ghost was poured out the first time. It wouldn't have been able to happen if that tomb was still occupied. Anyone can claim to be God. There's people that do it all the time. But you can't prove it. You only prove it by raising from the dead. When Jesus came out of the grave, that one act validated everything else he ever said about himself. The founders of all the other religions say, you know, follow me and I'll show you the way to the truth. Jesus said, follow me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's different. The salvation experience is designed to let your old life die and be buried and give you a literal new life by the power of the Holy Ghost. Jesus being put to death and buried were acts of men. People did that. Right? But Jesus' resurrection was an act of God. Only God can resurrect. People can put people to death all the time. People can bury people. We do that all the time. But we can't raise anyone from the dead. Only God can do that. Repentance and water baptism is my response to the gospel. That's what I can do. I can repent. I can say I'm sorry for my sins. I can try to change my life. I can make the decision to go down in water and say in Jesus' name. You know, I can do that. But I cannot give myself the Holy Ghost. That has to, become, that has to come from God. That's God's response. To this, that's God's part in this. The Holy Spirit is God's action in response to my obedience. Acts five and thirty-two says, "And we are His witnesses to these things, and also, and so, and so also." Sorry, is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. God gives it to people who obey Him. Amen. So we repent, we're baptized. That's our obedience. That's what we do, and God gives us the Holy Ghost because we obey Him. So Acts two and thirty-eight. Is how the gospel is believed and received. The gift of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, is part of the New Testament salvation. It's not an optional experience. It's something that's necessary. Romans 
8 and 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you are not of his. Pretty straightforward there. So we need his Spirit. There are five historical accounts of people receiving the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, the Jews received the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans did. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles, that's everybody else. And then in Acts 9, the Apostle Paul and the disciples of John at Ephesus in Acts 19. So it's all these different stories of people receiving the Holy Ghost. So it shows us that it's for everyone. For the Jews, the Samaritans are half Jewish, and the Gentiles who are not Jewish. There's for the super ultra religious people like Paul. It's for um, disciples, you know, they're trying to live best another way and they didn't quite have the whole truth. You know, the disciples of John, that's for everyone. This this shows us that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is indeed for everyone, for all groups, and it is accompanied by the, the sign of tongues. Speaking in tongues means speaking supernaturally as the Spirit gives utterance in a language that you've never learned. We should always expect speaking in tongues when someone receives the Holy Ghost. Tongues do not save us in any sense, but the Spirit produces tongues as an initial sign, a supernatural sign that we've actually literally received the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Tongues are not the Holy Ghost. Let's get that straight. Tongues are not the Holy Ghost. It's a sign. All right? The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost is the resurrection. We'll go back and we'll compare it with Jesus for a minute. So Jesus was buried and he was resurrected, and the stone was rolled away. If the stone, um, you know, the stone wasn't where it was before. And that was a sign that there was something that happened in this tomb. There was a sign to, to Mary when she came, there's something this isn't right, or something's changed. When he was buried, well, there was a stone here, but there's something that's changed. There was a sign. The stone was rolled away. There was something going on, and it caused Mary to go inside and look, and she saw angels, and you know, and, and his clothes were and his all folded up there, all nice and neat, and you know, that's how she knew that he was gone. There was a sign. The stone was rolled away. Amen. There was a sign that something had changed. Jesus could have resurrected and just walked out without moving that stone, but he used it as a sign to everybody that there's something that happened here. So tongues, when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, tongues are the sign. Now, there's something that's changed. There's something that's happened right here. There's something that's different. Something's changed. Acts 10 and 44 and 46, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out to the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. All right. We're all good? We're all on the same page still? Almost halfway through. <laughs> we can go all week on this stuff, but just some questions people have. How, you know, who can have it? Why tongues? Why, what does it do for me? How important is it? And what do I need to do? So just got to go through these things. Um, do you have, you want to take notes? I'm not going to read every verse because we'll be here all day. But if you want to write them down and look them up after, um, get ready. But who can receive the Holy, the Holy Ghost? The Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons. So anyone can receive this 
wonderful gift. Acts 2 and 39 says, For the promise is unto you and your children and all that are afar off. All. That's a pretty big number. Even as many as our Lord our God shall call us. Whoever he's calling can receive it. All that are afar off. That's us. We're all. We're afar off. We're not close to Jerusalem. Everyone can receive it. And God's promise of the Holy Ghost is to be poured out on all flesh that obey. Luke 11 and 13 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Yes. So it's to all and it's to them that ask. Yes. That's all we got to do. We got to whatever. All right. So why did God choose speaking in tongues as a sign? We cannot be absolutely sure, but we have to accept you know, that's what He did. Um, some possible reasons God is sovereign to do whatever He wants to. Isaiah 40. 13 and 14, the tongue is the most difficult member of the body to control according to James chapter 3, verse 2 to 8. As we know, there are many times we say things we don't want to say, Amen. or we do want to say, but we shouldn't say. Amen. You know, especially if you're married and things come out that you wish you could take back instantly. Sometimes when you're up here trying to preach and you say things you wish you could take back instantly, it's too late. The tongue is the hardest thing to control, right? So when God fills with the Holy Ghost, he's kind of saying, you know, I'm in control now. This guy couldn't control what he was saying, but now I'm doing it. So um, speaking in tongues is an obvious universal sign that can happen to anybody. Um, speaking in tongues reverses confusion of the Tower of Babel. If you remember that in the Old Testament, God confused their language and, and split them all up. Amen. But tongues unifies brings us together, so it's the opposite of that. And speaking of tongues provides a certainty, you know, that shows that there's something that definitely happened at this particular time and place. And Isaiah 28 and 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. So those are some reasons that, that God chose tongues. And what, what will the baptism of the Holy Ghost do for me? In addition to being part of salvation, the Holy Ghost brings power, uh, which includes power to witness and be a living testimony that Jesus saves us from sin, Acts 1 and 8. Power to overcome sin, to live righteously in and, and, and Romans 8 and 4 and 13. And the power over the enemy in Luke 10, 19 to 20, 1 John 4, 1 to 4. And resurrection power when Christ comes for his church, Romans 10, sorry, 8 and 11. All right, we good? There's a lot of power that comes with it. And besides power, it brings rest, it brings peace, it brings joy. In Isaiah 28 and Romans 14, it helps me to pray. In Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 14, Jude 20, it teaches, it guides, it shows me things that are to come. In John 14, 26 and 16 and 13, it places the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. 22 to 23 in my life. It helps, helps God, you know, it helps manifest these things. If you want to be more like Jesus, the best way is to have Jesus working on the inside. Amen. Right? You know, we can try our best to, to have the fruit of the Spirit, to have joy and peace and love and gentleness and all that stuff. We can try our best to do that, but without Him working on the inside and changing us on the inside, it's not going to come out the way that it should. It gives me assurance of salvation in Romans 8 and 16 and all of these works of the Spirit reinforce that receiving the Spirit is essential to salvation. We're not going to be able to do all these things on our own. 
We need his help. So it gives us power to live for him. It gives us power to be saved. It gives us power to, to go to heaven. How important is it? Very. You can't be saved without it. When I receive the Holy Ghost, I'm applying the resurrection of Jesus to my life, making it effective to me. And the Holy Ghost is such a holy thing that Jesus warned us not to blaspheme or speak against it in Mark chapter 3, verse 28 to 30. Without the Holy Ghost, we will not be in the rapture of the church when Jesus returns. Romans 8 and 11 and 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. Without the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His, like we already read. We do not belong to the family of God without it. We cannot even call Jesus the Lord of our lives except by the power of the Holy Spirit according to 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. Alright, so it's pretty, pretty important. I know that's a lot of information. Most of us know it, but you're going to know it more now. Alright, and what do I need to do to receive it? I want the Holy Ghost. What do I need to do? So since the baptism of the Holy Ghost is part of salvation, and it's available to us today, it's not difficult to receive. If somebody wants the Holy Ghost, they need to have faith in God's promise. You need to believe the word. If you don't believe, you know, it's not going to happen. That's the first step. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So first believe, and then receive. Peter promised the Holy Spirit to all who repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. So ask and believe for God's gift. You don't have to earn it or beg for it. It's a gift. And that's how gifts work. I know it's a mind-blowing revolution. Revelation, sorry, not revolution. Revelation. No, that's how gifts work. You know, Christmas would be really awkward if you had to beg for every one of those gifts. Oh, please. Yes. I sometimes I'll do that to kids. Maybe tease them a little bit. But every gift, oh please, let me open that Oh, candy canes. Oh please, let me open this one. Oh please, I gotta have that. Give it to me, please, please, please. You know, that would make it really awkward, really uncomfortable. Imagine birthday parties. When they're bad enough as it is, we're just going, people begging for the gifts. Oh please, give it to me, please. You know, that's not how gifts work. Gifts are given and received. Right? And so it's a gift of the Holy Ghost. So we need to ask and believe and then receive it. Amen. You don't have to beg for it. Just receive it. So we offer worship to God and we talk to Him like we would talk to our friend. Let the Spirit of God move through you. Just lose yourself in Him and let Him give you the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Become like a child. The Bible says that we need to become like a child. Have faith like a child. You know, back to Christmas. I mean, my kids, they, have, they don't beg for those gifts. They know. They have faith that this is mine. I'm going to take it. And if I don't tell them no, they may open it before we're ready. You know how it is. Sneaking in your parents' room. Mm -hmm. I've had <laughs> friends that would do that. They would open the parents. They'd get a new game. They'd have the whole game beat before Christmas even happened and their parents wouldn't even know. Because <laughs> they had faith that that was theirs. And they, <laughs> they received it before us. <laughs> faith like a child, ready to receive. And we surrender to, to God and to His Spirit and, and let Him move and let Him work and just receive it. It's not that complicated. You, you will be in control at all times and you can stop speaking anytime, but the Spirit um, cannot be fully enjoyed until you allow Him to, um, to have His way and just enjoy it. Anyways, my wife can come back and play something. <laughs> 
It's impossible for God to fill people with His Spirit when we refuse to yield to Him. Alright? Nobody can be filled with myself and God at the same time. One of them has got to go. Uh, you can't speak two languages at once. I know in New Brunswick they try. <laughs> speak franglais and stuff like that. Well, that's their own language they matter. You can't speak two languages at the same time. And since, you know, when we're receiving the Holy Ghost, we'll speak in tongues. Um, God's not going to take that away, but we have to let Him. We have to yield to Him. That's the main thing. And we can, we can come, and we can pray, and we can, we can fight it, but we need to yield to Him or it's not going to happen. God does not speak in tongues, um, but He gives us the words. He uses us to do it. And it's an incredible experience to surrender completely to God. Receiving the, the Holy Ghost is only as difficult as the person seeking it makes it. It only takes as much time as needed to repent and surrender completely to God. The main struggle we have is surrendering completely. A lot of times we'll try to hold on. That's why sometimes you know, you know, kids they come up and they get the Holy Ghost super easy because they don't got all the baggage. They're not carrying stuff around. They're not, no, I'm afraid of what people think. They don't care. And so when we become afraid and we have all this stuff and we, we refuse to, to surrender completely, that's what makes it difficult. Amen. But it's, it's not difficult. We just need to let God move and surrender to Him. It only takes a moment. You can receive it wherever you want. You know, I got the Holy Ghost nine years old. A church service before the preaching started. Because I didn't want to wait. Well, Wednesday night, held up the preaching. The preacher was up there, he didn't tell him to sit down. I'm like, well, I'm going to keep praying. And he's like, hey, this guy's praying. Maybe we should pray. And I got the Holy Ghost. Came behind me, got the Holy Ghost. It was awesome. But that week, um, a girl in our Sunday school class, she was same age as me. Got the Holy Ghost. At her friend's house that Friday night. We all got baptized Sunday together. It's pretty awesome. So you get the Holy Ghost at church. This little girl got it at home. Uh, I have a friend that got it camping. Well, somebody else, the other guy was sleeping. He decided he's going to pray. God filled him with the Spirit while he was camping. People, you know, I've heard stories. People in this church receive it in bed, praying at night. You know, you can get it in the baptismal tank. Sometimes it's easier when the water's cool. Lips are already stammering. <laughs> but in, you know, in Benin, we baptize people and they lay on the side of the road in the dirt, receiving the Holy Ghost, you know, wherever. And praying and receive it wherever. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that we've repented and we surrender to God and let Him move. Sometimes, you know, I got the Holy Ghost before I was baptized. You don't need to be baptized first. There's a, one of the stories in Acts, that's how it happened. But you need all of it to be saved. It's not a hard thing. We repent and we allow God to come in and we worship Him. Anyways, it's easy. The hardest part is for us to yield and let Him let Him move. So the salvation promise is accomplished by Jesus. Jesus completed the work. We do what we are asked and He does what only He can do. Acts 2 and 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not you might. Not it's possible that you'll get it. 
but you will get it. And this is our response to the gospel. Let's all stand. I know that wasn't, whatever, I don't know what word I'm looking for. It wasn't as long as last week. That's good. We're going to take some time and pray this morning.